Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Deb Conway, your host this week. I'm an investor with Samsung Next in New York, and I'm passionate about urban tech. So let's talk urban tech. Stakeholders all around the world are leveraging technology to improve quality of life for people. It's known as the Smart Cities Movement. My guest today aims to make New York an even smarter city. Simon Sylvester Chaudhry is the co-founder and executive director of CivLab and co-founder of Smart Cities New York. Smart Cities New York will be held at Pier 36 May 13th to 15th this year. With the support of the New York City Economic Development Corporation, Urban Tech NYC and CivLab launched The Grid, the new network for the urban innovation community of New York City. Welcome to What's Next, Simon. Thank you for having me today. Um, should mention that Samsung Next is actually a, a strong part of our community and just hosted our first town hall for the community. So we thank you for that. Awesome. Well, we hope to encourage and foster more conversation. Um, why don't you give us an introduction of who you are, how you became CivLab, Simon, and how you became interested in this space? Sure. Uh, my background a um, little bit different than um, most in the space or in the startup space. I, I'm, I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, actually, and then ended up abroad studying economics and philosophy in the UK. However, really in my heart and my soul, I'm not an economist. Uh, I really kind of had more of an entrepreneurial spirit. So following that, uh, my interest in clean technology grew. So I uh, ended up leaving London, going back to Manhattan, Kansas, uh, where I ended up working for a commercialization shop where we were working with the National Renewable Energy Labs, looking at what the next great technologies in energy efficiency, grid, and distributed generation were going to be. Following that, um, I saved enough money, moved to the Big Apple. As it goes sometimes, no one would give me a job. And so uh, I went back and did another master's at NYU Center for Global Affairs, where I, I now have the privilege to teach, um, and looked at energy policy. And at that time, I ended up getting an internship, got picked up by a guy named Micah Koch, uh, who now runs UrbanX, which is um, BMW Mini Cooper's accelerator out in Brooklyn. And we were working at a small incubator ran by NYU down on Varick Street in an old paper factory. And this incubator in the corner of the incubator had about five or six companies that all were reducing carbon emissions some way, shape or form, whether it was energy efficiency, hardware models or software models or even business model innovations. Eventually, um, that, you know, that initial funding came from uh, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, but eventually the New York City Economic Development Corporation, who also sponsors the GRID and Urban Tech NYC program, um, awarded us money to build a new center in downtown Brooklyn. And really at the time, uh, you know, I think we'd maybe just surpassed Boston in terms of venture capital investment in the U.S., uh, but you know, entrepreneurship and innovation was really uh, at its nascency here in New York City. Um, so we ended up building this urban future lab, and it really started to get me to think about, you know, how can we not only support startups and innovations making cities better, um, not just through venture capital, but through our other resources. I was fortunately also awarded a fellowship by NYU to go to their other campuses. They have about 12 to 15 campuses around the world. One was in Abu Dhabi and another was in Shanghai to look at, you know, could we also implement incubators here? And if we did, could we take some of our solutions that we're building here in New York to those places? So with this idea of if I have a problem in Abu Dhabi and I have a solution in New York, can I use the infrastructure and the communities in each place to get it from one place to another? Uh, that 
really resonated with me and kind of stayed in the back of my mind of, you know, how I could take my thoughts and views on macroeconomics, but also implement them to startups. So I ended up leaving uh, uh, Urban Future Lab. You know, we had a great run while we were there. But I left and I, I started a consultancy company um, called Global Futures Group. We were doing advising and consulting around uh, this new theme of smart cities. People kept asking the question, what is smart cities? And eventually it got to the point where we said, okay, instead of just answering this question every time, why don't we create an event in New York City around smart cities? So that's when we started to work on Smart Cities New York. Um that event has about 3,000 people, 400 cities, 40 countries, I think almost 20 mayors last year, and a number of different stakeholders that come together to discuss what the future is going to look like. We started to recognize how many unique players there were that were participating in this discussion. And so uh, working with the NYC EDC, we started to build out you know, what could a community look like? And we recently launched the grid. And the point of the grid is to look at all the different types of institutions, whether you're public sector, private sector, academic nonprofits, and how we can all work together, make the right connections in the right areas to create and build and scale urban solutions. All right, let's dive into the grid. You told us a little bit about the origin of the grid. Why don't we why don't we kind of jump into understanding how you went from idea to action? So our startup, which is actually in the form of a nonprofit, which is a real thing, nonprofit startups, you know, when we do our business model canvas, we, we're not necessarily looking for venture capital money, but we're still looking for resources to help scale our business. So you always have to have a good backer. And I have to say that we've been incredibly blessed to be working with the New York City Economic Development Corporation, who has a longstanding history of investing in these types of initiatives and, and working with them. And so as kind of I started to think about this and they started to, un, you know, roll out spaces like Urban Future Lab and New Lab and Grand Central Tech. They started to see a need for a program as the local economy started to grow. And so did I. And, and so fortunately, we're working together um, on this program. And, you know, really our goal here uh, ultimately is, is, is job growth. And we want to make sure that we're growing jobs in this space. And not just startup jobs, which is where a lot of them will come, but also, you know, making sure that as a collective, we're elevating this industry and we're starting to see more jobs in this space, whether it be in government, academia, nonprofits or private sector. Let's talk about success. What does that mean for you, for the grid? So I think there are a couple of different questions in there and, and I'll look at it from kind of a hyper local angle. You know, locally, we want to see various different projects and collaborations happen, you know, different types of groups working together in different neighborhoods. And we might not be able to calculate and understand all the success. It could be cleaner air somewhere. Um, it could be someone getting to work faster. It could be a smaller electricity bill, whether at work or, or in the office. Um, but ultimately we want to drive job growth, but also look at, you know, minority and women owned businesses as well. This is an important part of making sure that not only do we have a flourishing tech community in New York, but a, an inclusive flourishing tech community. But taking a step back and looking at this at a more global level, you know, for CivLab and for myself, I think, you know, we're really focused on making this New York program work and make it succeed. 
but we're focused on it because we think this could be a model for other cities around the world. So what does success look like for us? Success looks like other cities replicating this, whether it's with us or without us. You know, we really want to create a model that's scalable for the world, just like any other startup world would. And ensuring that we can start to create this network where if I have a problem in Tokyo and a solution in Toronto, I can use these different places and communities to get it from one place to another. I'm also giving it a global market of competitiveness and helping startups and entrepreneurs not just be successful in their local markets, but globally as well. So um, success looks like solving all the world's problems in urban spaces. So, Simon, there there are incredible tech communities all over the world. You decided to launch The Grid here in New York City. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking behind that decision? So New York City has a very interesting tech community. And, you know, this whole smart cities thing initially was actually a marketing campaign and was really started from the top down. But what's been really unique, not just in New York, but in other places around the world, is we've seen the opportunity actually happen on the ground itself and be bottoms up of these different types of organizations working together saying, we have problems, let's solve them, let's solve them together. New York City was already doing this before the grid. And there are a number of examples of that. I think it's really important to note that, you know, the grid not only wants to kind of harmonize the ecosystem and ensure that these different organizations are working together towards, you know, identifying, building and scaling these solutions. You know, we try to have this sense of community that says, you might be an entrepreneur, but you're part of something bigger. You're part of something with all these other institutions and there are resources out there that aren't just in the form of venture capital. But additionally, there's a big message here, which all of us as part of the grid are, are part of, which is that New York City right now is the urban tech capital of the world. And we want to show that off. And we don't necessarily want to show that off as individuals or individual unique institutions. We want to show that off together. And that's really important. I think it's really important in a time where we just lost Amazon HQ too. And some may see that as a good thing. Some may see that as a bad thing. But I actually think it helps us lose sight of the real story going on in New York, which is we are a vibrant tech hub and we're doing it together. One of the things that I'd like to understand from your perspective, being the person who is the touch point into all of these different stakeholders, representing different interests, representing different perspectives, representing different geographies and locales, what's motivating them to focus and invest in the smartness of a city, if you will? And maybe talk more about how you define that in general as well. So we'll start with the definition. Um, you know, it can be loosely defined as we found over the last couple of years is, you know, many different groups have their definition of smart cities. I see it as a city that creates programs and implements and scales technologies for the good of its citizens. Um, and just keeping it simple. Um, I think, you know, there are a number of drivers for why we're seeing so much effort going towards the sector from these various different stakeholders uh, those drivers also differ from city to city and, and really country to country. And just the sheer need to come up with solutions for populations that are increasing so much um, and trying to understand, you know, if we already have congestion problems, if we're already having problems giving access to, you know, proper access and mobility and transportation, what's that going to look like when our population doubles? And 
a lot of that has to be with economic drivers as well. And, you know, as we're coming to um, this world of 5G and the race for 5G, especially here in the U.S., you know, you have companies like AT&T and Verizon and Sprint, T-Mobile, et cetera, looking at 5G. You know, that that is a backbone for a lot more to come in terms of things like Internet of Things and autonomous vehicles. So, you know, part of it is for U.S. cities, how do you stay relevant? And additionally, I think there's this whole new notion of caring, and I think that's led by a class that often gets given a hard time, which is the millennial. You know, traditionally or typically we're seeing that millennials care for their communities. Millennials want to um, see the world be better. So I think some of these organizations, some of their motives are economic, some are social. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, they all see this as the future and they don't want to get left behind. What is going to happen in urban tech to ensure that the next generation uh, workforce has new opportunities, is supported in these opportunities. How are they going to be different than the opportunities that the workforce has right now? You know, I think from a policy standpoint, uh, you know, you're going to have to see leadership coming from the state and the city level in ensuring that the companies that work in their cities and places um, are providing local jobs. Uh, I think that additionally, it's going to take forward-thinking companies to understand that their business models are reliant and their customers are more reliant on people. I mean, we're always going to be at that risk where our compassion for people and our focus on getting, you know, making sure there are jobs for people um, weighs more than the actual cost of our goods that these, you know, companies are providing. However, you know, I think one of the big keys there, which I kind of give it a hard time because everyone talks about it, but the older and older I get, the more important it is to me, which is education. And so, you know, making sure that we work with our academic institutions to understand what the skill gaps are that they're going to need to train the next future leaders are in um, and creating programming and working together with the private sector to make sure that we're doing so. Additionally, I, I'm not sure if the future of work is completely around people with um, university degrees. You know, we've traditionally had this big push in our country that everyone needs to have a college degree. Well, if you're like me or if any, any of you who are out there like me, you might have a thing called student loans. Not the greatest thing to have in the world, but, you know, we move forward and I think a lot of people that go do college degrees don't necessarily need to take the time or the debt to do so, where there are skills and, you know, workforce training that might be more appropriate. So as a society, I think we need to understand, yes, how can we leverage our academic institutions, be more collaborative with them to understand what the future of workforce means and the skills that it's going to take. But also outside of the higher institutions, you know, how do we create programming and how do we work together to make sure we're providing those types of skills for people to be prepared for tomorrow? For a city like New York, should we be focusing on urban problems or urban opportunities? How do you think from your experience dealing with the different stakeholders that you deal with, uh, they are prioritizing the resources devoted to advancements in urban technology? I would say that all of our urban problems are are our urban opportunities. You know, in New York's an interesting case because we have a large ecosystem 
an ecosystem which is strong in a number of different areas and sectors and also strong by stakeholder type. So, you know, I think with New York City, we also have a lot of resources and those might be from the stakeholders or from the city um, themselves. We live in a city that has a lot of experience in solving problems. And what's really interesting about the grid and a lot of our stakeholders, as we look back at it, you know, we're starting to see different examples of of what Bruce Katz calls new localism, which is different types of groups coming together organically to solve problems. And while the grid is supposed to help facilitate that, that doesn't mean it wasn't going on before we started this program. We're just trying to make it more efficient and provide more opportunities for these types of partnerships to solve different problems. So, you know, my opinion on that one is that, um, you know, we have a lot of resources, a lot of different institutions, and we should look at all the problems as opportunities. And I think, you know, that's what's special about urban tech as a whole is that we've taken a space where it's. There are various problems. We're going to find solutions for them. But not only are we going to find solutions for them, we're going to turn this into economic opportunity. What are you most looking forward to or what are you most predicting will be a significant change in urban technology and the smart cities market in 2019? Is it that cities are going to devote more resources? Is it that organizations such as The Grid are going to proliferate and bring this conversation to the forefront. Is it 5G? Like, what uh, What are you predicting for 2019 as it relates to urban tech? I think 5G is one part of it, uh, especially from a technological standpoint. I think not only will this excite a number of stakeholders and corporate and infrastructure type organizations to, to do a lot more and actually identify new technologies to, to lay on top of the 5G. But it, it, yeah, hopefully it will uncover a lot of new markets. And, and I think from an innovation and R&D standpoint, we don't really know what, you know, entrepreneurs and innovators get their hands on 5G and start to understand how it works and how their products can work with it. We don't actually understand what that potential is there. So I think, I think that's part of it. You know, I think this economic opportunity mixed with solving problems this theme is going to start to spread. Um, and I, I primarily think so because, and, and rightfully so, these types of programs, which are getting different types of groups together, I mean, you know, the grid alone, we have groups like the World Economic Forum to the Queens County Library on, on our platform. And those types of stories or any type of story of these different types of stakeholders working together to solve problems brings great media. And with great media brings the love of politicians. So I think that, you know, if we can really set a model here, I think it will start to get a lot of other people excited around the world on how you can galvanize these various different communities to work towards a, a greater good locally. I think one of the things that I was trying to convey at our last grid town hall was from the perspective of the investor, you know, we're able to connect with startups, startups are able to connect with us, but it's the connections that they make in the room with the World Economic Forum, with the Queens Library, with the different uh, Brooklyn Downtown Partnership, etc. It's those connections that are made in these sorts of rooms that, one, create action and, and two, create traction, which is what investors look at. So I definitely encourage the 
different startups to to involve themselves with the different folks that they can find in the room. Yeah, and to you know to that point, I think urban tech, whether it's a thing or not, it's hard to still say. You know, my biggest fear is waking up one day and there is no urban tech sector and there are no entrepreneurs that can find financing to solve these problems. And so we're at a moment where, you know, it's all hands on deck from everybody, not just to see urban tech succeed, but to see our city succeed as well. And, you know, we don't have the benefits of, you know, being as horizontal as blockchain or sexy as blockchain. But, you know, we bring a lot of other interesting elements. And so, you know, I think you're right. The diversity of these groups um, is incredibly important in our success. But I think that, you know, everyone here realizes we have an opportunity. And if we don't work together on capitalizing it and elevating the sector as a whole, um, it could have consequences on our cities and our economies. And consequences, I think, that are especially important right now because I believe, as both of us see it, though I won't speak for you, it's the imperative. It's our it's our personal imperative as people that can make changes in urban technology to do so um, because it will create great impact across quality of life uh, for the most amount of people possible, which is which is a big hope for us. Absolutely. As we see it, so much of the innovation comes from these two, three, four-person teams with maybe a little bit of financing, an incredible idea, and hopefully an ability to execute. It's not always such a comfort for city governments. What needs to be true of the startup in order for them to have a good chance at working with the government? So cities are becoming way more accustomed to working with startups. I think one great example is the NYCX program uh, being ran out of the mayor's office here in New York. I also think that the private sector is playing a huge role in this too, which is understanding that if they're going to fulfill uh, projects for the city the best they can, they also need to hire the innovation and products that startups and implement those within uh, their proposals and the execution of their projects. So we're starting to see private sector companies you know, look to the startups to actually bring them into big projects with the cities, which is also great because for a startup, that's incredibly important to be able to not have to take on the risk. And from the city as well, they get to bring a startup into it, but not necessarily have to take the risk on because as we all know, you know, dependent of that project or not, startup might not be there tomorrow. So we're, we are starting to see, you know, more creative models by cities, by private sectors to getting startups involved. Is it enough? No. But we're starting to see that improve. And, you know, one big issue in this space is not just scaling hardware and software, but scaling models too. And so there's a model within that, which is getting these collaborators to work together. Um, we need to find models that we can scale for that. So that gives startups more opportunities to work with governments. Um, in terms of advice for startups, to make sure you're just engaged with your local community. Yes, you can only do so much in terms of marketing and being in the right room with people. But when decision makers go to implement a project or they're looking for somebody, they're going to go to the person they just had a conversation with, or they're going to go to the person that was contributing and part of their community and ecosystem. Now, they'll do their due diligence and you might not get the deal at the end of the day, but they're going to go to the person who's contributing to the community as a whole um, and who was the last person that they saw. So we've spoken a lot about the government as the customer. And then, of course, there is also the individual, myself, as the customer. 
Who else are the customers that that we're not talking about right now as it relates to urban tech? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the the big ones is the real estate community. You know, we're starting to see a lot, uh, obviously, in New York. is We're a city that's has a history in real estate, but we're starting to see a lot of groups work in this space. Number of companies that have our incubators, New Lab, Grand Central Tech, Urban Future Lab. But also we're starting to see, you know, various accelerator programs like Metaprop who are starting to look at affordable um, housing even as a, as a segment. Even Dream Adventures who are also part of our, our steering committee with you, with Samsung Next. Um, so that, that is a huge customer base and developers are effectively building small communities in many cities themselves. So a great place to pilot and, and demo things. And so we're seeing a trend in universities do that as well. It's not as easy um, and maybe not as profitable, but, you know, universities are effectively and campuses are effectively small cities themselves. Uh, but one I think that often gets overlooked is the utility company. So um, looking at electricity and the future of, of energy demand and how, in, in New York City, for example, after Hurricane Sandy, over half the city was blacked out. So working with those types of companies, whether it's on making the grid more energy efficient or making it more connected to bring in you know, more renewable energy and sources of distributed generation, um, utilities are, are a huge potential customer base. And then again, you know, we're talking about 5G, I think it's undetermined what the future of things like autonomous vehicles and connectivity will be. But you're going to start to see a lot of different types of organizations have to work together to implement autonomous vehicles. And a lot of that is going to be B2B. So I think getting creative and not just looking at real estate utilities, the citizen or government, but also looking at the private sector as a customer um, is, is a big opportunity. I think that's a super useful and helpful tidbit to to our audience listening. So thank you very much. You hear all these conversations. You are Civ Lab Simon. You represent oh you represent urban technology. What are the conversations that we're not hearing that are happening that the people are not hearing about urban technology? So I I think a big one, and for me, it's kind of um, close to my heart, which I'm starting to get you know, more involved in, is is around accessibility. And you can take accessibility and look at it in a number of different ways. You know, you can look at accessibility in people with disabilities. You can look at, you know, accessibility from a, a mobility standpoint. What happens when uh, there's a mobility desert and it takes 45 minutes for, you know, someone in Brooklyn just to get to the train to get to work and then to get from the train home when their kid is at home who has to do homework. So I think, you know, accessibility is a, is a huge one. And, and the reason I also think it's important to note is accessibility isn't a vertical. This is something that's horizontal and it's something that should be thought of and taken in mind, um, not just during, you know, the implementation of projects, but earlier on in the design of them. Uh, you know, one of, one of the great examples that someone told me, and it's also a good way of looking at how there's economic opportunity or opportunity in something without even realizing is, is look at talk to text. So talk to text was actually built for people with disabilities, but now, you know, my 12 year old cousins, that's, they don't even <laughs> type on their keyboards anymore. All they do is talk to text. Um, and so we're starting to look at 
are there ways, and I'm working with a group called G3ICT, which was spun out of the UN, and um, they have a Smart Cities for All initiative. And we're starting to look at how do we work with incubators, accelerators, uh, but also universities on ensuring that when we educate our future innovators and entrepreneurs – that they're thinking about accessibility earlier on in the design process and under, making sure they understand that this is actually an opportunity for them. So I think accessibility is really kind of one of the big ones that we're, we're not discussing enough, but it's part of the conversation. As we think about accessibility, this is something that technology and urban technology especially should be should be addressing. So thank you for that point. Um, from Manhattan, Kansas to Manhattan, New York, you have been one of the most determined and accomplished people in urban tech. And we look forward to seeing you continue to to develop and grow this industry and the opportunities for uh, many people out there. So thank you so much for joining us today. You can find Simon at CivLab on all social channels. You can get at me, Deb Conway, through Samsung Next and LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to What's Next. We release a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host this week, Deb Conway. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email, podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.